Thank you so much for being here today. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Chase. Big, big, big believer in camp. Absolutely. Um, Chris and I, we actually give every month to our scholarship fund so that um, some kids can go to that. And I would say, too, that I... I grew up in a Christian home, went to camp, and I remember at 13, answered the altar call because the guy preached about hell. And I was like, I was pretty sure I wasn't going there, but I needed to be absolutely positive. And uh, from hundreds of kids, man, I made a beeline down to, to camp um, and, uh, and got resaved, if that's a thing. Um, but it was a great, great experience. So kids, you guys could go ahead and be dismissed, first or sixth grade. You can go out the door. Your leader will meet you right back there. And again, just thank you so much for being here today. Um, so glad you're here. It's a good, good day. We were going to talk today about uh, the second chance. That's the title of the message. I would encourage you to take some notes. Um, I really believe that God's going to speak to some of you. And if he doesn't, that's kind of my fault to a point, okay? Either that or you're not listening. All right, maybe a little bit of both, but I believe that when you open the word of God, regardless of who's preaching it, you can learn something. All right, I heard a lot of people talk about, oh, the pastor's boring. Well, did he preach the Bible? Well, yeah, well, Okay, that's kind of on you then, right? Because learning uh, to me is is a, it should be fun. I enjoy teaching. And I don't want to bore you to death. So we're going to talk about a little story where uh, Paul preached on and on. It says, and a guy fell out of a window three stories and died. So, and then he went down and healed him and he went back to talking because he preached for so long. Um, I don't plan on doing that to you today. Matter of fact, we were done about 10 minutes early first service. So um, if you're a good crowd, I'll let you go early. Okay, and I hope that's not the best amen you give me. If not, it's going to be a long day for you. Um, so Acts chapter 20 is where we will be going. Uh, you know, it's not how you start in life. It's how you finish. And that's what I love about Christianity is that, that God doesn't require you to get cleaned up before you come to him. Uh, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough to come to God. You come to God first, and then he works on the cleaning up part. Um, and most other religions don't, aren't that way. Most of the time you have to be, be good enough to qualify, but with God, it's not that way. So my question I want to start off with is what are you doing with your second chance? What are you doing with your second chance? There used to be a commercial, a deodorant commercial, and this was the, 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 I guess the, 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 word, the catchphrase was, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. You remember that? Anybody seen that? Uh, but the good news is that you do get a second chance. You don't get a, a, a second chance to make a first impression, but you do get a second chance. And I want to tell you a story that if you've been in our church for very long, you've heard the story before, but a lot of you are new, you haven't. I've heard the story. I want to tell you about what happened in my childhood one summer uh, when I was probably 10, 11 years old, uh, when we lived in Northern California. And uh, we had, anybody heard of a place called Garberville? Okay, maybe who's not heard of Garberville? Don't go, it's not a vacation destination, just so you know. Um, unless you like marijuana, then maybe that's your thing, but I hope you don't. Uh, that was what the town was known for, and they called it Garbageville, was actually the nickname of the town. And, uh, and so my dad had a logging company, as most of you know. And one summer, we had a, a job in Garberville, up uh, this, this creek called Sproul Creek, and it was a pretty big creek. And we camped all summer long. And the good news was my best friends, uh, their dads worked for my dad. And so all the best friends were together um, for the whole summer. And we camped, and it was just a great, great time. Uh, we had a really cool fishing hole and a swimming hole that we had found up the creek. And, uh, and just spent the days just exploring. Well, one day we hiked. We just went, let's go as far as we can go. And so we hiked up this mountain, and we found an old garbage dump that had whiskey bottles and all kinds of stuff. And, and so we thought it would be fun to break them uh, by throwing them over a cliff. And so we're just chucking them and you know, you'd listen. And we weren't watching where we were throwing. We were just throwing them over this cliff and shattering and laughing as boys do, you know. And so then we hiked back down to camp and we thought, man, let's, just, let's go swimming. So we put our trunks on, we hiked up the creek. And lo and behold, when we got to our swimming hole, some idiot broke glass all over our soil, everywhere. And we realized that it was us. We realized that we were above our swimming hole without us knowing it. And we were the ones that caused the issue. Of course, we had to clean up all the glass and it was a bad thing. But what changed my life was later that day, hearing my dad talk to Larry, uh, my best friend or one of my best friend's dads. And I was listening, but my dad, I don't believe knew I was there. And he said something like this. He said, you know, our boys do something like this, and then they ask for a shotgun for Christmas. And it was a life-altering statement to hear my dad say something like that. Because what he was saying was, is if we can't trust them with glass, we can't trust them with a gun. And it changed me. It changed my thinking to say, wow, what I do really does have an effect 
on my future. My behavior really does have an impact on what my father will allow me to do. Okay? It's one of those moments that, that I had a second chance to prove to my dad that I could be trustworthy. But it took something as like a dumb decision to realize, wow, this could really cost me something in the future. Well, today I want to talk to you about the second chance. What I want to do is I want to start in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. I want to read a statement Paul makes, and then we're going to go backwards um, because we need to understand a little later why he says what he says. And he says this in verse 24 of Acts chapter 20. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, the apostle Paul was called to preach the gospel. He was called to preach the Bible. Okay, you may not be called to publicly preach the Bible, but you are called to publicly preach the Bible by how you live. You may not be up on a stage. Matter of fact, most people don't. It's one of the most fearful things people have is talking in front of people. Um, I don't have that fear. Okay. Unless you start throwing stuff at me, then I might, but, but I don't because it's a calling on my heart. It's something that I, that I humbly know that I will be held accountable for every word that I say. The Bible says that, that I will be held more accountable than most people. Um, so I need to know what the word of God says and I need to do the best I can to stick to it. But why would Paul say something like this? Why would he say, I consider my life worth nothing to me? Because in and of itself, that sounds like a terrible statement. It sounds like he's depressed and suicidal. I mean, I consider my life worth nothing to me, but he's not. Okay, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And I believe that every single one of us has a task that, that you're not done. Okay, God is not done with you. If you're still breathing, you still have a purpose. And some of you may feel today like, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what my purpose is. You know what? Here's what we do as Americans, especially. We are so task-oriented. I know I am. I have a list of stuff that if I can get this done, then I've accomplished something. But I want to I talk to you today about where you are right now in your life. Some of you have facing, and we'll talk about it. Paul's going to face this, this huge thing that changes his life. And then the question is, is what now? Okay, th this happened but now what? what? What can I do? There's some things that I can't control. They're beyond my control. I didn't cause it. I didn't want it, but it happened. What do I do? And I'm here to tell you that, that God is not finished with you, that God still has a plan, that God still has. And that's where Paul's at. So emotionally, he's, he's like, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish this race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. So what are you doing with your second chance? What are you doing with it? Here's his perspective. His perspective is that death is not too far off and it keeps his focus and perspective in the right place. Now, our emotions, okay, because Paul, he can get a little bit emotional. Anybody here like that? You know, who's the emotional one in the relationship? My hand is up. Okay. How, how many's how many's not? Because only like five of us raised our hand. How many aren't emotional at all? You guys don't care about anything. Um, yeah, you, you have no feeling, right? <laughs> I'm not emotional. We'll just call you Spock. Yeah, you just don't care. Um, but us emotional people usually care more than unemotional people. But our emotions oftentimes equal our behavior. And so today I want to ask you this. What, what are you feeling today? What are you feeling? And I believe this is a question that, that God wanted me to ask you because um, this is more of just like a living room session today. Matter of fact, first, ser first, first service, Leo came down. He said, are you okay? I was like, yeah, why not? Because anytime somebody asks you that, you wonder, what, what are you seeing that I'm not? He said, you didn't one time get up out of your chair. And I said, you're right. Because usually when I emphasize a point, I will get up out of my chair. So I said, I promise I will get up out of my chair. And I already did it one time. Okay. Um, and so I, I love that about Leo. He was like, you, you doing okay? He thought maybe I was injured or something. Uh, and I'm like, well, maybe I'm just tired. Maybe I'm just tired. So is that you today? You're just kind of tired. You're like... There's always weeds to spray. I mean, there's always, you drove in and look out the desert. There's weeds. We sprayed them last week. We, Travis and I both, I think, sprayed them. And I think they grew. I think they like Roundup. They're like, just keep feeding me, baby. Um, so I'm really tempted after church to go hose them down with like straight Roundup. Like I'm going to put all 50 bucks worth of Roundup on you. I'm going to kill you. Uh, matter of fact, I... I sprayed weeds this morning at our, in our, down our lane at our house because I woke up kind of early. It's like, I'm gonna, I just want to go kill something, so I'm going to go spray weeds. Um, but here's what I found is why is it that weeds grow without needing anything? 
Why is it that weeds grow without water? They don't need fertilizer. They don't need tending. They don't need to, meet, to coddle them. They just grow. It's, it's not right. Okay? And in our lives, don't the bad things grow without tending? Don't the negative things just seem to grow in the driest of land, the dry, there's no humidity, there's no, and you're like, how is this green? Well, that's what negative things do because what I found in our lives, the positive things need nourishment. They need nurturing. They need water. They need the word of God. They need church. They need worship, okay? And worship isn't just singing, guys. Worship, because sometimes worshiping could be fishing. When you're out fishing, sometimes it's good. I was hoping I'd get a good amen out of that, okay? When you're worshiping God, for making the fish and making the rivers, okay? God made that stuff for us to enjoy. Sometimes we equate worship as music. That's just part of it. We worship God in a lot of different ways. We worship by loving. So the backstory here is Paul's eventually, he would eventually write half the New Testament, but he didn't start out serving God. For the sake of time, I'm just gonna read you what I wrote. He thought he was serving God, but he was serving a religious system in the name of God. And, you know, we all serve something. And like I told you earlier, it doesn't matter what I believe. What matters is what's true. You see, somebody can tell you something from birth and you believe it until you find out different. And Paul's about to find out something different. All right. He's a very passionate young man, but we all serve something. He was serving this religious system. He was very passionate, but he was going in the wrong direction. And he had this God moment. He was on his way to Damascus with a group of people and he had gotten permission to go persecute Christians. So that he was breathing out murderous threats. He was not, he was so passionate. So he's like, I'm going to get these Christians. I'm going to punish them. And, you know, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to do it by killing Christians. Is that backwards? Okay. Yeah. But that was Paul was where Paul was at. And he's on his way to Damascus. And then Jesus appears to him in like this lightning thunder thing. And nobody else saw it, but they like all fell down. And he hits the ground. And he's like, who are you, Lord? <laughs> it was a dumb question because he said, Lord, right? Who are you, Lord? He kind of knew who it was. And, he's, and, and Jesus said, this is, Jesus, Paul, why are you doing this? Why are you going against me? He goes, it's hard and it hurts with what you're doing. And, and he says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And he gave him a chance for a second chance. He gave an opportunity to change. And I don't know in your life today what your moment was. And I call it a God moment. And that's what I pray for people who really aren't serving God. I just say, God, just give them a God moment where they are forced to make a decision. You're either going to serve God or you're not. No more gray Christianity. Well, it's easy to be a Christian. It's either black or it's white. Either you're serving God or you're not serving God. And Paul has the second chance here. And, and God is the God of second chances. Aren't you glad? Okay, I'm, I'm glad for second chances. And then the second chance, here, here's the deal. There, there's not a third chance because this, the, the time you blew it was forgiven. So every time that we ask God for a second chance is like a new second chance. Not God can have a third chance, can have a fourth chance because God doesn't keep count of the second, third, and fourth. And so his mercies, the Bible says, are new every morning. And I wish I was that way as a human. I wish I was that graceful and that forgiving. But Paul has given this, his name was Saul at the time, he's given this opportunity to serve Jesus and, and no excuse will be good enough for God as to why you don't serve him. God is not going to accept any excuse when you stand before him at the end of time and say, well, yeah, that's a pretty good excuse. Okay, I can, I'll let you in. I know you didn't accept my son, but go ahead. That's not how it works. Hey, we're either serving God or we're not. So you are responsible for you. God knocks him to the ground, gave him a choice. He was blind for three days because he didn't eat or drink anything. He was in so, so much shock as to what happened. And many of you have experienced that same type of thing. Hey, you were living for the world and you had your God moment and then God gave you the second chance. And like Paul, you had to make a decision to keep going down that highway to hell or take the heavenly exit. So we're given a choice. If you want to live, I'm um, sorry, if you want your life to change, you must quit blaming others for how your life is turning out. You know anybody like that? They, man, they're miserable and they have to blame their misery on somebody and that somebody can be you. And miserable people look for ways to be miserable. And here's what I know. You give somebody who's miserable and complains about it, if you give them everything they wanted, they would still be, they would find something to complain about. Anybody know anybody like that? Don't say, don't nudge. Don't look, don't just look, keep eye contact with me. Do not look at anybody next to you, okay? But a name went through your mind, all right? Yeah. Quit blaming others for how your life is turning out. Just quit, quit blaming. When you can learn to not blame other people is when you will begin to make progress in your life. See, change can only come when you take responsibility for your own life and quit making excuses. 
I could have told my dad, well, dad, it wasn't really my idea to break the bottles. <laughs> okay, I still want a shotgun. The, the bad part is it probably was my idea for breaking the bottles, but that's beside the point. Um, I could have made excuses. I could have said, well, we were bored, or we were, I, but I didn't. I was in such shock at what my dad said, and I knew that my dad meant what he said. I, I mean, he meant it because that's how my dad was. He gave his word, and, and when he said something, I was like, I'm not getting a shotgun for Christmas. I'm not going to ask for a shot. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be a really good kid from here till Christmas. Like, so I had like six months to turn my little ship around and do anything that my dad needed me to do, do it with a, with a, you know, a good, a smile, you know, and, and open the, the JC Penney catalog and circle the shotguns that I was interested in and leave it open just in case, which I don't know if that really happened, but it's something that I would have done, but it changed my behavior for the rest of the summer. I wanted to prove to my dad that I can be trusted. Okay. Because I wanted a shotgun. You know what the good news is? Because my dad's a dad of second chances. He brought, me, he brought me a Remington 870 12-gauge, okay? Like 10 years afterwards. But um, no, it was, I think it was within that, that year. And, and it was like, wow, he does trust me. But I had to change my behavior. Right. I had to change what I was doing so my dad would say, okay, he can be trusted now. So in our country, uh, right now, there are some things that do need to change. They really do. But it starts in the heart, okay? It starts in the heart. So hear me on this. This is my opinion, Taking down statues or changing a syrup bottle doesn't change the heart of man. Okay, we can change the outside stuff, but the real change has to happen right here. Okay? We have to learn respect to authority. We have to learn a lot of things, respect to those who are breaking rules. Okay? There, there's got to be respect mutually, but the change isn't just from tearing down stuff and going, okay, let's start over. The change has to start in the heart. That, that's the change that needs to take place. Uh, otherwise, it's just lip service. Otherwise, it's doing the right things, but it's not doing them for the right reason. Only Jesus can change our heart. Um, again, I understand there's physical steps toward reconciliation, but there has to be a heart change. Uh, I don't know if you saw in the news recently, uh, I heard it on the radio, that there was a, a, a camel competition, a camel beauty competition in Saudi Arabia. I guess they have it every year. Anybody hear about it on the news? All right. And uh, I think it was Air One. And, and so they were saying that 12 camels... True story, got disqualified from the beauty pageant because the owners put Botox in the camels' faces. Like, that's the thing. It's a, it's a real thing. And they got 12 got disqualified. And I'm like, hey, man, if the camel needs Botox, give it Botox, right? But my point is, is that you can put makeup on a camel, but it's still a camel, right? It's still a camel. We can change things on the face of society, but if we don't change the heart, it's still evil, right? It's, it, it, we can change a lot of things. And I think what we're trying to do in our country is, is change a lot of physical things when it's really a heart thing that needs to be changed. We need to work on the heart first. So we're going to see in today's lesson um, that life in Paul's day wasn't much different, okay? At this point, there's going to be riots, there's going to be greed, and there's going to be resistance to authority. And I think you'll find some humor in what happened in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 19, because of, of what we're going to read about. Um, if you've never heard these stories, you're going to be like, whoa, that happened in Bible days too, people have not changed much. All right. So I want to start again where Paul was at emotionally, not sure how old he was at this point, but everywhere he went, he seemed to get beat up for his belief in Jesus. Okay. And I'll tell you this, that telling people to change their behavior wasn't popular then, nor is it now. Pretty soon the cross may be illegal because it offends certain groups of people. Now we're in our country. If we keep heading this direction, don't be surprised. Okay, they're already, t you know, the call is to pull down white Jesus from the, I don't know if you guys have heard that, that was like the call, pull down the white Jesus. And, and I'm like, and if anybody has a reason to be offended, it's Jewish people. Because Jesus was in a Jewish man's body, right? He was probably darker. So, but, but I don't care what Jesus looks like to you. That doesn't matter. As long as you know the real Jesus, you know who Jesus, Jesus is in heaven. He's God. It don't matter what you picture what he might look like. Uh, Jesus is Jesus, Okay? And it wasn't the physical body he was captured in for a while. It was who he is as a being. He's love. He's kindness, right? And, and at the same time, he's complete authority. So when I tell people, hey, you need to change your behavior, it's not very popular. I don't usually get standing ovations for me calling somebody out on their sin. And Paul is going to get the same thing. Okay? So it's, it's a fun story. So here's what I believe. We're slowly losing our freedoms as a, as a country. And it's a slow process that might make sense at the moment to some, 
but it's going in a dangerous direction, in my opinion, for Christians and especially for pastors. Um, who would have guessed six months ago when somebody said you can't go to Costco without a mask on, you would have believed them? You'd have been like, I can't go to Costco without a mask on? If somebody told you, you'd be like, you're nuts. Well, guess what? This old boy hadn't been to Costco since they made that rule. I make my wife go. You can wear the mask. And here's what I need. And she's, she'll go. She didn't really like wearing them either, but she's a complier. I'm a little defiant with it. I'm like, I ain't going to Costco. You don't need my business. Um, I do need some rubber gloves to work on engines, but, um, but they don't have any, so I don't need Costco. I don't want to go to Costco. And I'm like, here, baby, here's my list. So I, I, I go around the horn, right? Um, and I'll, I keep one in my truck, and I'll wear one, and I wore one this morning. I did. I, if you see a little thing on my nose, I had an N95 mask on, but I was spraying weeds. I was by myself. I was not afraid of getting, getting Cyrus. What are you call him? What are you call him? Cyrus the virus? I'm going to make a thing. We're going to make something. Scott, draw something up, man. Cyrus the virus. It's like we're going to do a kid's thing and we're going to make a million dollars on it. Here's what you say no to Cyrus. Um, how, to, how to stay away from Cyrus. Maybe we should get a Cyrus suit. We can walk around and you can practice six feet, you know. Um, I'm thinking cattle prods would work too. Six foot cattle prod. I mean, I, it might be fun. Hey, let's go to that church. Um, well, the bad thing is I know you'd be zapping people under the chairs during church. They'd be like, hey, man, hallelujah, what was that? Um, I, got, I got shocked. Yeah, went to church and got shocked. Right? So here's where we're going. America has changed in the last 224 years since the Declaration of Independence. In 1776, we have changed quite a bit. There was a point where immorality was not accepted. It was discouraged. Well, today immorality is accepted and often encouraged where morality is looked down on. As a pastor, I'm talking to myself when I preach against, you know, wrong sexual behavior, it can be taken as hate speech by some people. I've actually been called that. I've actually been, had said things about me that I'm spewing hate from the pulpit. Now, number one, you're wrong twice, okay? I'm not spewing hate, and, and this is not a pulpit. It's a music stand, um, so let's get things right, okay? All right. So people don't like us to call them out on their behavior. And again, this is all going somewhere. This is exactly where Paul the apostle is at. He is calling people out on their behavior, and he knows he's going to get killed for it. But he can't stop. He's like, I've got to tell you the truth because the way that you're going will wind up in hell. So let's back up to Acts chapter 19. Again, the question, what are you doing with your second chance? Paul is doing something with his second chance. He is doing what God has called him to do specifically. Okay, Acts chapter 19, 23 through, we're going to go through 41. About that time, okay, we were going to stop at 34, but I wanted to keep going. It says, about that time, there arose great disturbance about the way. This is Acts, again, chapter 19, verse 23. The way being Jesus. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, who was the god of the day, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. In other words, he made a lot of money making these little gold statue things. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades, and he said, men... You know, we receive a good income from this business. And you're like, oh, there it is. <laughs> it's money related or it has nothing to do with Artemis being a god. It's, it has everything to do with the income here. Okay, we make a lot of money on this. And you see in here how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province and age. In other words, he's messing with our business. What he's preaching is going to lose us money, so we need to do something about it. He says that man made gods or no gods at all. Is there a little bit of truth to that? Because if you've got to make your own God, he's not very big. Like if you you make your own God, then you're God. And that's what he's saying. Well, he's saying that man made gods or no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess of Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. Now I'll tell you that a real God cannot be robbed. All right? Yeah, he, a real God can be robbed. So, so this guy, uh, Demetrius, is just causing some issues. Well, when they heard this, he's the instigator, when they heard this, they were furious and began, began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Verse 29, soon the whole city was in an uproar. Shall we keep going? All right. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and he rushed as one man into the theater. 
Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Paul's like, oh, I'll go talk to him. Bad idea. Okay, don't go into a mob. Don't go into a riot. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. You know why? Because there is no reasoning with emotional people. You cannot reason with a mob. You can't reason when people are emotionally going nuts. Okay, they won't listen to reason. The assembly was in confusion. Verse 32, some were shouting one thing, some another. And I love this line that's highlighted. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Right? They're going, ah, why are we doing? I don't know. Ah, we're just going crazy. Why? We don't know, but let's just do it because it feels good. Right? They're all mad. They should have been working, but they weren't. Somehow writers don't have jobs, but whatever. Um, so they're here. They're going crazy. And I love this. Okay, the mob doesn't need a good reason to riot. They don't need a good reason to riot. And they're just going nuts. And it says most of them didn't even know why they were there. They were just following the crowd. Listen to me. You need to understand, if you're going to follow the crowd, you need to know where the crowd's going. That's right. Teenagers, listen to me on this. You need to know where your friends are headed because they will take you in a direction. And if it's a bad direction, you're going to get labeled as one of them. Guilty by what? Association. It's a thing. It's true. So if you know where the crowd is going and it's a good place to follow the crowd, but if you don't know where the crowd is going, don't follow them because it could end up in a disaster. It says the Jews then pushed Alexander to the front and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. Isn't that something the crowd's actually trying to dictate? Does that sound like politics? Like the crowd's trying to dictate what the leader needs to be saying. Let me tell you something. A leader has to make decisions based on what God is telling him or her, not what the crowd is telling him or her. You have to make the right decisions according to the word of God, not the crowd. He motioned for silence. So Alexander the Jew, he's a Jew, he's going to motion for silence and make a defense before the people. But when they realized his prejudice, when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison. They were over shouting him for about two hours. And they were shouting this great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They're shouting for two hours. I want you to listen into your mind of the time where you heard a crowd shouting, maybe at a ball game where it was just loud. That's what this was. So then he got the city clerk. Okay, he, he's smart. He, the city clerk quieted the crowd. And he said, men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Okay, there's a lie. There's fake news. Okay, Artemis fell from heaven. We just know that Demetrius probably made the, you know, but this, this art, you know, you ever seen uh, the gods must be crazy? Who, is, who has seen the gods must be crazy? Okay, a few of you watch TV. Um, where a Coke bottle falls, a pilot throws a Coke bottle out over the plains of Africa and it lands and it, it turns into this big thing. It's actually a pretty funny show. And so that's what I think of when I see this. Okay, Artemis fell from heaven. Maybe because Artemis got kicked out of heaven, who knows, but it fell from heaven. Uh, so he's saying, therefore, since these facts are undeniable. Okay, so this big statue fell from heaven and these facts are undeniable. We hear a lot of this kind of talk today in politics, all right? Uh, it, it didn't fall from heaven, okay? Somebody made this idol. But he says this, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not, do not do anything rash. Now, this guy is smart. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. You see the reason here? He's getting the crown going, guys, rioting and burning isn't the way to accomplish things. This is 2,000 years ago. He is saying there are laws. And it, there, are, there are lawyers. There are courts. If we want to deal with this kind of stuff, okay, there is a right way to deal with it. Um, and so it's, it, it was really humorous to me to read through this with what's going on in our world right now. And the right way to deal with things. You can't always control how things go down, but you can control how you react to them. And we need to react like civilized Americans and to say, okay, some wrongs were happening on both sides. Let's let the courts decide because that's how America works. That's why democracy works. Okay? Otherwise, it begins to turn into a dictatorship, which it, it, you know, I'm okay with the dictatorship as long as I'm the dictator. Right? I have no problem with anarchy as long as I'm the one with a gun and you don't have one. Anarchy is great if I'm the leader, but anarchy, the whole thing is there's no leader. There's always going to be a leader. Somebody is always going to rise up 
You know, it always cracks me up, the guy that's like, yeah, anarchy, but I'm going to lead the anarchy. And if you don't do what I say, then you're not in the anarchy anymore. It, people can't govern themselves, guys. We just can't, okay? We, we, we don't have the ability to do that, at least not very often. And he's saying here, the courts are open, okay? They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in the legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events, in that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. And after he said this, he dismissed the assembly and everybody left. Isn't it ironic? I mean, you read through this whole thing and Paul caused it. Paul caused the riot by just simply preaching the gospel. He wasn't even doing crazy stuff. He just simply preached the gospel, but the people didn't like it. So I want to read the story or look at the story with some perspective that Paul had to deal with prejudice and riots himself and see how he reacted to it. It's really important for us to see that. You see, it's not what happens to us. It's how we react to it that really sets the course of our lives because you can't always control what happens to you. There's there's a company in town called BMC West. And for me, BMC means beyond my control. So the next time you see that sign that says BMC, I want you to think about that. There's some things that are beyond my control. I can't do anything about it. What is that in your life right now? What is that in your life right now that's just beyond your control that you, you can't change anything? It's like, this is, this is where it is. What am I going to do with this? And that's where Paul was at. And Paul's writing this letter, and there's some things that he can't control. He's like, I, you know, I wasn't trying to cause a riot. I did cause a riot, but I wasn't trying to cause a riot. I, I can't control when people beat me up. I mean, I could not say anything about the gospel anymore, but then I'd be disobeying what God has called me to do, and that's more miserable than people beating me up. Paul's in this weird place, and he, he's just trying to deal with it, but it's not what happens to us. It's how we react to it that really sets the course of our lives. One thing that Paul never seemed to do, and if you don't get anything out of today, get this. He, he never seemed to let bitterness take hold of his heart. I've studied his life for a lot of years, and I don't see anywhere where he's bitter at people. Even the people that beat him up, was he happy about stuff? No, but he didn't let that bitterness get to him. Did he let get things get to him? Yes, because he had a little bit of a temper. You can see in some of his writings that there was things that happened to him that bothered him, but it didn't grip his heart. So you can go through the emotion of bitterness, but not let it stick. What happens when you get a goat head in your foot? What do you do? Do you leave it there or do you pull it out? You pull it out. Matter of fact, I stuck my finger in a, I had a, a like thing with bolts and screws and I stuck my finger in to grab something and I felt something poke me last night and when I pulled my finger out, the screw came out with my finger and I flung it and I was like, oh, man, that hurt. And then like for another couple hours, I could still feel it. And I was like, what were the odds that that one stupid screw was pointing up? I mean, and then my finger happened to exactly, but, and then it actually came out with my finger. Matter of fact, it would be on my security footage in my garage. I should show you. Um, I'll see if I can find it and I'll post it because you won't see my mouth say anything bad because the, the door was up on my toolbox. Um, but you, you will see my hand. I know I did it because, but it was like, yow. And then I was like, what are the odds? What are the odds, you know, that that, that, that would happen? Sometimes little things poke us, but they hurt a lot. How we react to it. Do we throw things everywhere or do we say, okay, God, this happened. Now, I was just trying to do something good, but I got poked for it. I was trying to build something. Here's what I know. When you try to build something, you try to build a life, you'll get poked. You'll get hurt. When you try to do the right thing, pain comes with doing the right thing sometimes. How do I get over it? Paul, he's not just getting poked. He's getting beat up and all kinds of things just because he's trying to do the right thing. But he never let bitterness take hold of his heart. Now, let me tell you something. I I will still use screws. I have not banned screws from my life because they poked me once. I'm like, I'm done with screws. Never going to touch a screw again. It's no, I I got poked. Okay. What am I going to do now? Be careful next time I reach my hand into a bucket, right? I'll probably look a little more careful. We, we learn from getting poked sometimes. And Paul here is going to share some things. You see, he had a good reason if he wanted to, to be bitter at people. He was being persecuted by his own people. He was a Jew and he was being persecuted by Jews. He was being persecuted by people he was actually trying to bring hope to. 
And he got ridiculed and beat up simply for stating what he believed and what he preached. See, physically, you read through his life, he did a lot of good things for people. He laid his hands on people. He healed people. I mean, he did all kinds of good stuff. He did, he did his best to be a blessing to other people. He helped out physically around just different projects when he was staying at people's houses. Um, he brought hope to people. He was kind to people. And yet he was getting beat up from it. You see, when you start preaching against sinful behavior, you can do all the good things in the world. But once you start preaching against sinful behavior, the crowd that wants to live that way will crucify you for it. See, personally, I know I'm a target because of what I've been called to do as a pastor I understand that my biblical stance on things can cause small riots, especially on social media at times. But I personally have to call sin for what it is. And I try not to let my opinions get in the way because some of my opinions are junk. Some of my opinions, I later don't even agree with my own opinion. It's like, yeah, that was my opinion then, but I've changed. This is why I can get blasted for quoting what the Bible says about sexual morality, and yet I'm supposed to be okay with the pride parade. I can get blasted for that. Well, I'm like, okay, here's what the Bible says about sexual morality, but they have a gay pride parade, and I say one thing, and it's all of a sudden, well, you're a hater, you're a hater. And, and I'm going, okay, hold on a second. How you live, is that's, that's your deal. That's, that's your deal. Okay. But I, as a pastor, have to say, this is what the Bible says about that type of behavior. And I'm going to call sin for what it is. I'm not going to back down from that, okay? And, and if people are screaming, okay, well, you're going to be more tolerant. Okay, fair enough. We'll be tolerant toward me then. Let me say what I need to say, what the Bible says, okay? And you can do what you do, and we can have a mutual respect and a mutual disagreement, but you can still respect each other. All I'm saying is, if it's going to be equality, let it be equality. It goes both ways, right? So, you can say what you want about me, and it's freedom of speech. But I can't preach the word of God without it being hate speech. And there are laws that could become hate speech for, for me simply preaching what the Bible says about sin, and just, I mean, I know we go that direction, but you know, we've got to be okay with it. So I'm not forcing anybody to agree with my stand on things, but I will ask people to be fair about it and practice on me the tolerance that you're preaching. And at times, at least in America, I feel like I'm being forced to agree with a lifestyle that God's not okay with. And why do I say this? Because this is exactly where Paul is at in this story. He is preaching a lifestyle change, and they don't like it because it's touching their finances, it's touching their way of living, and yet he is okay with saying, you know what, this could kill me, but I'm okay with it because this is what God has called me to do. Now, be thankful for most of you that you're not called to a public ministry. You can say things and get away with something that I can't. And you know me, I keep my opinions to myself. I never post anything, right? This is what the Apostle Paul's dealing with and why it's eventually going to cost him his life. And he knows this, and what's more, he's okay with it. That's the, that's the part that's kind of crazy. He's okay with it. How is this? How is he okay with it? Well, I believe he's okay with it because he stayed true to what God has called him to do, and that's to preach the gospel, to give hope to the hopeless, to give others a second chance at life the way God gave him one. In other words, his motive was to see lives changed in the way his life was changed. So you can't argue with a changed life. It might cost you your life, but you can't argue with it. So I want to end with the context surrounding the statement we read in verse 24 at the very beginning. In this Acts chapter 20, 19 through 24, I want to show you how he arrived at, I consider my life worth nothing. We need to look at the context of where he got there. So verse 19 says this, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And when he said great humility, he meant it, okay, because he got beat up everywhere he went. He got beat up for the gospel. It's hard to stay prideful when people are beating you up for it all the time. I mean, physically getting beat up. He says, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, my own people are coming after me. He says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Guys, there's, there's a heaven and there's a hell. The Bible is very clear about that. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, that hell is a place of torment. It is a place that is burning. There are some religions that teach that hell's not really like that, but the Bible counters that. The Bible talks about hell being hot and, and people burning for eternity. That's a big deal. And that's why Paul's so passionate about this. Paul doesn't want anybody to go there. God doesn't want anybody to go there. And he provided one way out, and that's through Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. 
And for you to accept that is the only way for you to get to heaven. It's not by being a good person. Aren't you glad? Because some of us might think, well, I'm a pretty good person. What if, what if we just posted up here every bad thought you've ever had? Instantly, we're all, never mind, no, I'm, I'm terrible, okay? I don't want to be known as the best person in church. <laughs> because the thoughts and the things that we've done, if that was all dredged up, none of us would feel good about it. Matter of fact, if we said, you know what, Let's, let's, we'll just use Scott. Scott, it's your turn that we're going to show your whole pastor, the whole church. Um, we just invite you to join us to watch your whole history. Change yeah, change in churches. I ain't coming to church, all right? If you want to know what the pastor, like his thoughts and actions, you'd be like, yeah, never mind. There's not one of us that would feel good about having all of our dirt posted. Not one of us would be like, yeah, I think, I, I think I'd be all right. If so, you are delusional or you're like two years old. Okay, we would feel bad about it. But Paul, he knows there's a heaven and hell. He says the only way is through Jesus Christ. And that's why he's so passionate about this. So he goes on to say, you know, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks, everybody, I'm not singling anybody out. Okay, Jewish people, Greeks, they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord. And he says, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. And here's where some of you might be not knowing what will happen to me there? Not knowing what will happen to me. That, that is one of the hardest places to be in life is when you don't know what's going on. Next week, I guess you got my title for next week's message during first service, during worship, and it was, it's titled, I'm puzzled. I'm puzzled. It's like, what, I, this life, it's like a puzzle, but it doesn't make sense to me. How do we deal with that? So I'm excited about next week already, even though I just have the title to it. But that's where Paul's at here. He says, I don't know what's gonna happen. And, and is that where you are today? Maybe you're just going, I don't, I, don't know. I don't know what's up in life, man. This, is, this stinks, okay? You might be thinking some other words that you can't say in church, but, but I think God knows that's okay. When life stinks, that you're like, this is not good. I don't understand. God, what's going on here? You know what the hardest times in life is, is when God doesn't answer you. You've been there where you're praying and you don't hear nothing. It's like, you know, he's there, but he's not speaking to you. And it's very frustrating for us because we're, you know, what are we? We're like, I texted you two seconds ago. How come you didn't answer me? Right? We're trained to get instant responses. Right now you can do something in one part of the world and the whole world knows about it in two seconds. Was it saying Scott and I were talking Wednesday night about that? The whole world knows instantly everything that's going on. Used to be. You know, the stock market, when I was in high school, we had to wait for the paper to come the next day to know what the stock price of today did. Now it's like up to the very nanosecond of what the stock is doing. And we've, we've got this idea that God should answer me now because God, I texted you my like text. Did you know you can text your prayer requests to our church, but it also goes to heaven? God sees what you text. <laughs> oh, does God see what you text? Okay, uh-huh, he sees it. All right. Sometimes you just have to hit delete. I did that this week. I tapped out something. I was like, yeah, better not send that. And erased a bunch of it. Uh, it wasn't terrible, but it, it could have turned terrible. You got to be smart. We have this idea that God should talk to us now and tell us what, what it is now, but God doesn't work that way. We have to be okay with not knowing. We have to be okay with that. Like, God, I trust you. I don't understand it, but I trust you. And that's where Paul's at. He's like, I don't know what's going to happen. And if anybody had a reason to complain, it would have been Paul. Paul could have said, God, I have followed you. From that moment, you knocked me to the ground. I have been faithful. I have preached the gospel. I have obeyed. I've loved people. I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned to death. I've been been beat so many times. God, I don't even know how many scars are on my back. All I've done is what you asked me. But God, I I don't get this. I don't understand. But Paul had this faith to say, God, yeah, you showed me when I first came to you that I was going to suffer and suffer I have done and suffer I will until I get home. But Paul's like, God, I know that you're a good God, that you love me, that you have a plan, that life isn't supposed to always be fun as much as I want it to be. God, I understand that there's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. And God, I will not let those trials and troubles keep my faith from being just pulling out of the water. I'm still going to serve you. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're just at a spot. You're just like, I just don't get it. And it's in those moments that I think God holds you the closest. That God loves you so much that he knows the pain. He knows what you're facing. And, and he doesn't always speak to us in those times, but he's there. 
Some of you need to hear that. He still has a plan and he's still good. Guys, God is still good. He's still good. Regardless of what you've gone through, he's still good. Your pain does not change God's character. His character is good. It's loving and it's kind. And let me tell you something. Once we're out of this world, and it's going to be less than 50 years for most of us, if the rapture doesn't happen, we're going to look back and went, man, that was really not near as bad as it felt on earth. The heaven is worth it. But those tears will be gone, the things. But in the meantime, we still got to walk through stuff. And here's, here's where Paul's at. I'm going to Jerusalem. I, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. And he says, I only know in verse 23 that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. That's a tough ministry, man. Can you imagine if, if God told me every Sunday you go to church, you're going to get hate mail after every sermon? Change Live Church. They're going to send you, somebody's going to send you something. Every, matter of fact, they're going to hit you on the way out. They're going to throw rocks at your truck when you drive away. Would, would I still show up? I'd be like, oh, man, I'm going to go somewhere else. My guy's like, no, that's where I call you. I'm glad you don't do that to me. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. But Paul's like, I, I don't know. My life's up in the air. I, I, all I know is that prison and hardships are facing me. And then we come to the verse we started with. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And that's the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Isn't that amazing that he had that attitude amidst all the things that he faced? Because see, getting beat up for what you believe in or preaching has a way of humbling you. And he was healing people left and right. I mean, he was laying his hands on people. He was doing good. And I think he stayed humble because he knew where the power came from. And that every day he remembered that he got a second chance in life. He remembered what God had brought him out of. And he lived every day in appreciation by being obedient to the call of God on his life. So he's like, I don't know what's going to happen to me here. All I know is prisoner hardships await me, but I'm going to keep going. I'm still going to go. I'm not going to turn tail and run. I'm not going back. Matter of fact, if I could give a theme to Paul's life, it's I'm not going back. I'm not going back to what was. I'm not going back to that old life. And maybe that needs to be your theme today. He's like, I just want to finish well. I know I'm going to suffer, but it's not going to stop me. I just want to finish well. I want to do what God has asked me to do. So what is the task that God has asked you to do today? And some of you may not know that. Some of you may be like, I have no idea what it is that God wants for me. Well, you actually do. God wants you to love him and he wants you to love people. He wants you to make a difference in the lives of those around you. Sometimes we look at God's will as this big thing, this big calling. But sometimes God's will is simply just getting up in the morning and say, God, I'm, I'm available. I'm available. Whatever it is you need me to do, I'll do. Whoever it is you want me to talk to, I'll talk to you. God, I'm just available to serve you today. I'm going to serve my employer. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to be worth more than I'm paid. I'm going to do the best I can to, to make them money or to present them well or to make things better. That's what serving God really is. I just want to finish well. So whatever your task is in life, right now it might be just being a mom, just to raise those kids. That might be your task. And God says, no, this is, you're not out changing the world. You're changing the world by loving on your children or maybe your grandkids, okay? That might be your task right now. Don't, don't, make, don't make it so huge. It might be smaller than you think. So what are you doing with your second chance? So in your life right now, I want to close with this. This, this was actually new. It wasn't in my notes. I think it was this morning that I felt God put this on my heart to tell you. Don't know who it's for, but I believe it's for somebody. And here's the question. What area are you tempted to give up on that God needs you to keep going on? Right now, personally, you. What area are you tempted to give up on that God needs you to keep going on? And only you can answer that question. Only you can answer that. But God has a plan and his plan is good. You need to know that God loves you. He's proud of you. He's proud of you. And if you sin your biggest sin this week, God's proud of you for being here. He's proud of you for being sorry about it. It's when we're not sorry anymore is when the danger happens. But God loves you more than you know. Amen. Get like two more amens. I can let you home early. Amen, 
Thank you. That's what I thought. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? I do have the question for you. What are you doing with a second chance? Have you had your second chance? And the Bible says that every single one of us must accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior to go to heaven. That's what it says. The Bible says that I believe it. That's what it is. There's a heaven and there's a hell. You get to choose where you go. How do we get to heaven? Well, we simply accept Jesus and, and ask him to forgive us of our sins, to come into our life. It's not being good. It's not doing good things. It's not going to church. It's not, it's not all kinds of things, but it is the one thing. It's simply saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive me. It's that easy. And the moment you ask him to forgive you is the moment he comes into your life and then the world changes. And if you need to make that decision today, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I will tell you, if you die, the Bible says that we will spend eternity in hell if we reject that. The only way to heaven is to accept it. How many of you need to accept that today? And if that is you, just me and you and the Lord, nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out. But if that's you, would you just lift your hand up where I can see it? Because I want to pray with you today. But if, if you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you're so far from God, you have no idea where you're at. You just want to come home. He's ready to accept you if you just simply repent. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision? Okay. All right. I don't see any hands. Sometimes I miss them. So let me tell you how... Is there some hands? Okay, there's some hands. All right, well, let's, let's pray together, church. We always do this for those who raise their hands in our church. We pray as a family. And if you would just repeat after me, and if you mean this, Jesus is going to save you and come into your life. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins on the cross. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That's it. That's it. You just got ticket, amen. Amen. You know, you never know what happens online, but, but God just forgave you of everything. You're his, you're on your way to heaven, and that's a good thing. Amen. That's a good thing. So I hope you learned something today. We're going to close in a song, but yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to be here this morning. Um, you know, it means the world to me that you're here. And uh, So Pastor John, just lead us in a song, and if you would just stand up. And Come on, would you stand?